This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. is coach jen from ocala florida and i'm mary kitzmiller from kemp texas and you're listening to horses in the morning on the horse radio network for july 12th episode 1973 today's show is brought to you by horseware good morning horse world what is your favorite day of the week you never stop learning you never stop understanding it's more in depth than just riding a horse knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning. Welcome back, Mary. Are you going through Mustang withdrawal? No, because <laughs> I'm moving on to the next makeover. It's just, it's a summer of Mustangs. It's a summer of Mustangs. When last we chatted... You were preparing to head out to the Extreme Mustang Makeover with Sage and others, I believe. Um, and now that's come and gone. Your Mustangs have found lovely new caring homes. And now what's... Yes, just, just one Mustang I took to that one. Oh, you just took one? So Sage... Yes. Sh- oh, actually, yeah. Okay. I, I rehomed or I sold two of my personal Mustangs to a good friend and client. Yeah. Okay. Now I, yeah, I'm on the same page. And then Sage was the one who actually competed. competed. Yeah. So everyone did find good and loving homes. Is, are you allowed to compete more than one Mustang in a makeover or is it just one horse per trainer? Um, some makeovers, they have done the option for a second Mustang. And so it depends on the makeover. And then some makeovers like Fort Worth the last two years have allowed trainers to, take home two Mustangs, but they had to pick one that would actually be the one competing. So it just depends on what the format is that at that particular time. So when, when you go to the makeovers, you take your Mustang that you are competing with. Um, are you always allowed to quote, buy back your Mustang or is it sometimes a case of you have to have it go to the highest bidder? That's not you. Um, so the horse always has to go to auction. Um, and you are always allowed to bid, uh, but you know, you are at the whim of, um, of the auction. Of so starstruck audience members who want to yes. take your Mustang home. Yes. Well, and actually one gal, I, I guess you would call it a bit of luck. Um, it, it was an unfortunate event, but it kind of allowed her to win her Mustang back. Um, she was riding this gorgeous, gorgeous blue run Mustang in the auction and she's bidding. And I tell you what, the majority of people in these makeovers, when they see a trainer bidding for their Mustang, a lot of people back off because they're like, oh, you've trained your horse and you've bonded and I'm not going to get in the way of that. Um, but at the end of the day, it is still an auction. And um, some people are like, I'm here to play. These are the rules. You knew the rules getting into it. And I'm, I'm going to bid on this horse. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have, uh, an opinion either way other than, you know, we trainers do know the rules of the auction. Um, 
so, you know, I know that like, for instance, if I want to bring back my horse for Fort Worth, which I do, um, I bid against the public and I've got to come ready to play. So she was riding her horse around in the preview and she's bidding on her horse and someone's bidding against her and it's going up and up and up and it gets to about two grand and her horse flips out. No! Runs off with her and slams her into a wall. <gasps> oh my yes. Gosh. And they both fall down on top of each other. Um, she was okay. The horse was okay. She was pretty routed up, pretty banged up. They were both okay. But as luck would have it, when that happened, the bidding stopped dead. I'll and she bet won it did. So it's like, um, sorry you almost died, but you won your horse. That just tried to kill you. Yay. Wow. Now that leads me to the next question. When one goes to a Mustang makeover and you say, you know, I think I might get myself a Mustang. People are not potential bidders they're not allowed to test ride these horses are they no it's it's a liability thing yeah um, well i figured it's my under- sure yeah i i think that's why it is because you know they're covered for the competitors and and everything like that and it would be a really um not ideal situation when you've got a lot of people on green mustangs riding around and then you have someone you don't know trying out a horse that's green and mustangs can be kind of so yeah you you can ask the trainer you know their contact information is on the stalls you can ask them anything you want about the horse um you know watch them go and the you know the trainers are always very upfront and very honest about what the horse does or doesn't do um but yeah you can't you can't really it's kind of like you know i don't think uh it's really common at any horse sale or auction to be able to go and ride the horse around it's pretty unusual here i think it might be a little bit more common in europe than it is here um just again the liability the whole that ingredient is just a very different dynamic in Europe than it is in the United States. So I get that. So that that's very interesting that you go there. I want to buy myself a horse that is green broke because they've only been in training for is it one hundred days? Yes, yeah, it can be anywhere from a hundred to one hundred and twenty, and I think this one was right at a hundred. A hundred days. So you're going to buy yourself a green horse, having never sat on it. That that's tricky. I I think I'd be hesitant to do that with. Any green, for any horse, period. I think I'd be hesitant to buy any horse that I hadn't sat on first. Yeah, yeah. it's a little I'm tricky. I'm a little paranoid. And, of course, most trainers are very good about updating their horse on Facebook, and they'll get a little bit of a following. And a lot of the horses will end up going to someone who followed them online. And, you know, mm-hmm. you can private message the trainer, and how is he on trails? And But, yeah, as far as getting to sit on the horse and feel what their gates feel like and how soft they are and, and do they even like you? Um, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, there's the risk there. Yeah. So – now, a question had popped into my head, and now it has popped back. Okay, there we go. Um, you've done how many? How many Mustang makeovers have you done now? How many different horses? I have done. I've been doing them on and off since two thousand eleven. I want to say I've done about six or seven. Six or seven. Have you ever had someone contact you before the makeover? That said, I want to come out and check out this horse because I'm thinking about bidding on him at the makeover. I've never had someone physically come out to ride the horse beforehand, which is something I would consider. Um, 
but I have had people in the past message me, how tall is he? You think he'd be good for this, you know? Um, so I've have had that, um, in Sage's case, I had maybe two or three people that were like, Oh, I'm coming to bid on her. And, and I kind of got it in my head like, Oh yeah, she might go to this person. She might go to this person. And as it happened, both of those people kind of bailed at the last second. They Mustang faded. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I got ghosted. No. Uh, but neither of them were like, I am definitely coming to play, but they were very interested in bidding on her. And then, um, Sage's story was interesting because I had someone, uh, who I'm friends with on Facebook contact me the night before, like, I really want her. I'm going to come out and see her. And we talked beforehand. I thought it'd be a great home. She bought her in the auction, won her, and then sold her a few days later. Oh, I know. That's dirty I was, pool. Oh my gosh. And okay. So, you know, I could get really upset. I could get really angry. Um, and I did have emotions. I had many emotions, <laughs> but <laughs> I also have to remind myself, she was never my horse to begin with. I was just training her. And this is, this is what you get into with this game. It's very emotional. Yeah. Um, luckily I won't keep anyone in suspense. The person she went to was a great home. I've gotten updates on her. Um, they're getting along with her. Great. She's at a really nice place in Kentucky. So all is well, but yeah, there was a bit of suspense ah. in me, um, you know, internally screaming for a day or yeah. two. Um, yeah. yeah, but she did end up in a good spot. So yeah, it's pretty suspenseful. Wow. And what is I, your favorite day of the week? Whoa, wait a minute. Stop that. Whoa. I clicked a button. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I typed into the wrong keyboard. I have an assortment of keyboards and computers here, folks. Um, that's because you have the B team today. Well, that's very, well, I'm glad we got to catch up. And when when is your next makeover and who is it with real quick? So I'm doing uh, Remington for the Fort Worth uh, makeover. And um, that will be in September, beginning of September. Uh, he's coming along great. And this is actually a horse that, you know, I'm laying my claim now. I will be coming to bid on him uh, at the auction. I'm even doing fundraisers uh, where I'm selling products to save my pennies for him because I definitely want this guy back. He's going really well. I'm really excited about him. Ooh, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and you have how many stalls and how many horses? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> You're pleading the fifth, aren't you? Yes. All yes. Right. Well, let's get to, I'm, I'm a one woman show again today, as I usually am here on uh, Mary's show. So we're going to get Erin Rogers on and we're going to kind of call her live on the air. Erin is one of our dedicated auditors and she agreed to come on the show this morning and talk about her horse's issues and her issues and how we maybe can solve them. And it takes me a while because I dial really slow. All right. Yeah, she Aaron really is ringing. I need I need the uh, Jeopardy game show music to play while the phone rings. Da, 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 da. Hello, hello, Erin. It's the horses in the morning show. Good morning. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. So you had a really interesting question in the auditor group for us. 
And uh, your question made me want to get a few more details because I can't decide if this is a health issue or if it's behavioral training issue. Um, So why don't you go ahead and tell us what's going on with your horse? Okay. Um, He's 16 years old. He's been vet checked by the vet. He's been looked at with his eyes um, by an ophthalmologist. He um, sometimes... It seems like we'll look for things to speak for, like uh, we'll be on a trail ride, and he'll just look in the woods and all of a sudden just stop, like something's there, but there isn't anything there. Um, when we when I rode him a couple of weeks ago, I rode him in the dressage arena, and then after he got done, I was trying to walk him back to the barn, and I don't know what he saw. But he started gating. He wouldn't go forward. He didn't want to um, listen. He kept going sideways. So we thought maybe he was off. So we gave him a couple of days off, gave him some views. And then he did the same thing a couple of days later, but there was nothing wrong with him as far as lameness was. And he so, is a gated horse. Is that correct? He's gated, but he usually trots. He doesn't okay. gate unless he gets nervous. Or well, I just wanted to, to make sure it wasn't like a thoroughbred who was randomly gating, because that would have thrown that's that weird. Would, that would have made this question yeah, even more weird. difficult. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and so you said he does this. He starts out fine, and then thirty minutes in, he finds something to get really terrified at. Is that correct? Um, it it depends. Like usually, when I rode him. Um, on a lesson a couple of weeks ago, we were working on canter leads, and um, I had casually ridden him about half an hour, and then he started gating. I don't know if he saw another horse in the pasture across from him, but he got all tense, and he wouldn't pick up his leads. and wouldn't listen real well. Just was acting strange. Um, okay, very interesting. What did the person who was uh, giving you the lesson, did they have any advice or ideas of what was going on? Um, well, I think they just thought he was just kind of acting up and didn't want to listen. Okay. Um, so without seeing the horse or knowing the horse, um, my guess is it is behavioral and uh, can be addressed yeah. with training. Um, you did, you know, you did have the vet check and, you know, good job for being really thorough on that kind of stuff. Um, so my answer on this is kind of boring, but it is something that um, I've had work on a lot of horses like this. And, you know, the general answer is um, to really work on foot control with your horse. And what I mean by that, um, for instance, when I haul my horses out and ride on a trail, uh, I'll yeah. have, you know, on young green horses, I'll have a lot of the same things happen where all of a sudden they stop and they see something down the trail that I do not see or hear and I can't get their attention back and, you know, they just become like a statue. Um, And that can be pretty scary because sometimes the next thing that happens after they become a statue is to have a flight response and they can bolt or jump. They become a lightning bolt after a statue. Yes, they're step one, statue, step two, lightning bolt. Yep. Yes. Nothing makes me more nervous than a horse that becomes a statue. I'm like, no, you need to move your feet right now. Um, (laughs) So uh, I practice, I practice this at home 
And um, I am very focused on breaking down the horse's body into five parts. You've got their head, you've got their neck, you've got their shoulders, pole, um, shoulders, rib cage, hindquarters. And I will work on all of those body parts individually, very carefully, um, and then put things together. So uh, for the hindquarters, I do things like lots of one rein stops. Um uh, or teaching them to push their haunches up and the rib cage. I'll work on bending them around my leg, doing lots of nice bendy cir- circles at the walk and the trot. Um, with the shoulders, I'll work on pivots. I'll work on leg yields. I'll work on lateral head and neck. I'll teach the horse to be soft in the bridle. Um, I'll teach the horse to step sideways, teach him to step forwards, teach him to walk back. Just all the things that I need to get a horse um, broke in general are things that I do for a horse that spooks as well. Um, And so when I take my horse out on the trail or to a lesson or I'm riding in an open field somewhere, um, especially a horse that I know has an issue, I am not going to let him be idle for long. I'm going to give him one million little jobs to do. Um, it's not about trying to get tired or trying to hustle his feet, but I'm going to give him something to focus on. Um, and the more you practice this at home, the better luck you are going to have getting it to work for you when your horse turns into a statue. Um, and one exercise that I love, love, love in particular is a serpentine exercise. And it's very simple. I will ask the horse to go left and work off of my left rein, do a nice small circle to the left, get him as soft as I can to the inside. And then I'll go to the right and I'll do that over and over and over and over. If I'm on the trail, you can do it around rocks and trees and sagebrush and and all of that and it's something that you can do um if you have limited amount of space um and it's something that will get your horse's attention it's something that'll get them to soften and relax plus if your horse is kind of constantly in a bend either going to the left or the right and he does spook or gate or whatever or do something flighty you are already halfway to an emergency one rein stop if he does get really scared yeah. so if he he's going to walk forward and go sideways yeah so so that kind of thing is really going to help um get him back and when i do this on my colts um you know, the, in fact, a great example of when I really focus on something like this is the first time I ride out of the round pen and I'm in a huge arena or even an open field. I'm never just going to walk my horse around. I'm going to give him a million little tiny jobs to focus on. Yield your hindquarters. Move your shoulder this way. Let's serpentine for a few minutes. Let's work on uh, going backwards. Let's work on um, doing a leg yield to the left or a leg yield to the right. And I'll do this until I feel my horse settle down. And it might take might take half an hour sometimes. Um, but eventually, my horse will kind of start breathing easier, drop his pole, relax. I'll feel his gait slow down. And when that happens, then I will give him a loose rein and say, okay, now you can just go for a walk and I'll leave him alone, get out of his face. And if he starts tensing up again, I feel that pole raise and he wants to gait or pace or do whatever, I'll go back to another little job. So I would give him so much to focus on. He can't look off into the woods. Um, or, or or start freaking out. Um, no you know. daydreaming permitted. Exactly. No daydreaming. Yeah, On horse or human. Yeah. 
I'll I'll have worked him into dressage room for fifteen or twenty minutes, and then coming out would be his you know let's walk around just to relax after doing some work. And that's when he acts what has been acting up. But so the dressage arena is a whole different place. You wouldn't you would be surprised how much having a little yeah. barrier will give your horse a false sense of security. And then you open up the gate, you will have to start over again. Uh, this is something I experience with Colts a lot. They'll be riding so calm in the round pen and um, I'll open the gate and walk out of the round pen. And it's just five feet from where I just was. And I will have a completely different horse. Cause all of a sudden the fences are gone. Even if it was a tiny little dressage fence, the fences are gone and they're out in the wide open. So if I was on a colt that I had done a bunch of work with in the round pen, I'm loping them around doing rollbacks, all of those body control exercises I just talked about. And then I ride him out I won't relax then because we're in a new spot now. So I'll go back to even, you know, he might be too tired to lope around and I'm not saying you got to go crazy and do a million billion, you know, canter circles or things like that. But as soon as that, that gate opens, that's when I really want to tell my horse, Hey, all that stuff we just practiced in here to get you calm. We're going to need it now. Um, and, uh, I, I will have a colt act completely different going from round pin to arena or open area. So you'll have to start it off and you'll have to start it all over again and work on it. And then, you know, I might have a horse that I worked on it for half an hour, an hour, just to get five minutes of that horse kind of going, oh, okay, letting down. And that's when I'll start thinking about letting them walk out and then getting off and saying, Hey, when you're in this state, this is when you're done. You know, you get to relax, go back to the barn and, and chill out. So that, that is some helpful advice. So we'll be <laughs> trying that as soon as I get back on him and see if everything helps. Cause, um, this not relaxing after trying to work out and working out, it's getting old, isn't it? It 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 is getting old, and he's he's an older horse. So. <laughs> I have a quick question for you. We're 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 running running out of time because these things we could just geek out on horse training for days on end. I know. Is is it common or consistent that um, when he wants to be seeing ghosts? It happens after yeah. a certain period of time, or is it one of those things that sometimes he does it, does it as soon as you decide it's time to take a walk break, or is it sometimes he takes 15 minutes, or is there any kind of a pattern there that you've noticed? No pattern. No? Just, just whenever. Just whenever. Like, we took him on a trail ride one day in the woods, and there was a chicken in the woods. No reason. I don't know where it came from. He didn't speak of that, and then he turned around and saw a mud puddle, and was like, oh my gosh, that's scary. Yeah. We're like, no, that's not. The chicken should have been scarier. Well, you know, they're horses and sometimes they see things different, you know. My horse is still afraid of the signs that the realtors put out. We have garter snakes <laughs> and trash trucks and bouncy houses. No problem. You know, yeah. there you go. Well, thank you very much, Aaron, precious auditor, for coming so on that. and putting it out there, putting yourself on the line. And chatting with us about your training issue. Thank you so much. All right. Good luck. All righty. I think we need to hear from 
horseware, and uh, and we have some more stuff to talk about. We have I th- we might have time to do a listener question or two from the auditor's page. Another long, tough fly season is right around the corner. And the only choice for this fly season are the Amigo range of fly sheets because they're built tough and feature the latest in design comfort, bug-busting technology, and sun-protecting fabrics. And the Amigo range has a fly sheet for every budget, from the Amigo Bug Buster Vamoose with no fly zone to the Amigo Bug Rug fly sheet. Find Amigo fly sheets at your local or online retailer, or you can visit horseware.com. That's horseware, H-O-R-S-E-W-A-R-E.com. Woohoo! It's that time of year, too. We've been having uh, all sorts of interesting conversations about fly spray and bug bites and welts and fly masks and fly this and fly that. What is the... Biting insect du jour in your part of the world, Mary. Uh, you know what we had really, really terribly this year that was a bit unusual was horse flies. Um, which, which ones? The big ones. Well, there's there's some there's the <laughs> there's the um, um, fighter jet silver silver shape fighter jet shaped silver ones, and there's the green headed ones, and there's the B fifty two bomber ones. Which ones did you have? Uh, they weren't silver or green. They were just black. It was just a giant fly. Like, like the giant size the size of, of your quarter. thumb? Yeah. Oh, that's that's what we call the B-52s. Yep. Okay. Okay. That's what we got. Ooh. And we usually have uh, like a couple weeks out of the year where they come out at night at dusk. That's that's fairly typical. Um but I was having them come out during the day this year. It was uh, it was always when I wanted to get on a green horse to ride too, which was just <laughs> awesome. It was so great. Um, oh yeah, yeah. It was it was no bueno. Um, so that was that was a bit unusual. Um, the mosquitoes aren't too bad this year, which is which That's is very surprise. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, we got a lot of bugs. Well, it's it's hard. Oh, to ha- you know what I'm having swarming my arena? What's that? That's scaring the heck out of me. Black widows. Really? Yes. Ooh. Yeah, that's Ooh. scary. Ooh. Icky. Yeah, not a not a spider fan. Not a big fan at all. Some people go, oh, spiders, they're good. They eat this. That that's true. It's all true. They they eat the biting insects. They're awesome, but ooh, just not a fan. So. You know what will cure you a little bit is if you YouTube Lucas the Spider. No, not going to do that. Yes, yes. Lucas the Spider. Yeah. He's very fluffy and adorable and precocious, and he can play music. It's very worth your time. (laughs) Give me. (laughs) Icky, icky, icky. Okay. Need to relax. Tip of the tip of the month is going to be practice relaxation and patience with your horse, which is something that's hard to do when you're being swarmed by biting insects. But uh, tell us how this tip came about, because there's always something in your life that happened that made you want to do this tip and uh, how we can do that better. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually a good point. Um, Yeah, so uh, it started out, um, I've had a couple people ask me, 
lately, they um, they really want to learn about clicker training. And here's here's the the rub with clicker training or showing it to people. A little bit can be very dangerous. Uh, I don't think people realize just because a method is low or no resistance or your horse really enjoys doing it, it doesn't always make it um, safe or good. Uh, it can be done incorrectly. So with yes, most traditional training, <laughs> yes, very easily, very easily. In fact, this is why a lot of gruff old cowboy trainer are like, don't turn your horse into a mama's boy by giving him food because it makes him into a monster. Well, that can happen. Um, and so, uh, you know, you can't, you know, the, the problems with Traditional training that we face is trying not to get our horse into a flight response or being defensive or shutting down. Um, with clicker training, it's almost the opposite. You get one that's way too eager. They've got that seeking mode of their brain turned on and the horse is just like, gimme, 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 mine, 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 mine. Where's the food? Where's the food? And they can turn it into these vicious cookie monsters which can be a very serious and dangerous problem. Uh, so the problem I face with uh, someone wanting to learn clicker training is very easy to learn how to get a horse to understand what the click means and to start training tricks. So people start asking me, they're like, okay, I taught my horse to target. Um, what are all the tricks I can teach? You know, I want to do rearing and liberty and Spanish walk and jumping over fire. And, and no one, no one asked me, how can I use this to get my horse to calm down and relax? And Interesting. Yes. They all want to do the tricks. And I say this not because I'm better than everyone, but because I've been here. I've created <laughs> cookie monsters. Let's, let's that, learn from Barry's mistakes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Learn from my pain, not your own. Um, uh, you know, if you teach a horse, okay, guess what? New rule. I have food on me all the time and there's ways to get food. And when you hear a click, it means food is coming and you open up that world of possibility for them. And then the next thing you teach is Spanish walk. You are going to be in a lot of trouble because that <laughs> horse is going to be Spanish punching you in the face to get those cookies. <laughs> I, He's I laugh, but you're out. right. That could get somebody into serious mischief. <laughs> Oh and it happened so much. Um, so that's where that started was I, you know, I, I tell people, no, 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 no. Here's what you got to do. And I have to tell them again and I have to tell them again and again and again. Don't go straight to the, the quote unquote fun stuff. Work on food manners. Work on let's lower your head. Work on backing away calmly, work on this is your space, this is my space. And all of that stuff when I started looked really boring. Um, why, you know, why am I clicking standing still for hours on end? No, I want to do liberty. And then what would ultimately happen is I'd get too far along and my horse would get cranky and frustrated and, and confused. And that's when you have them offering dangerous behaviors in order to try to get food or taking a swipe at you to try to grab your treat bag. Um, it can get nasty. So I went back and went back to food manners, went back to calm patients. And what I noticed that happened was not only did I start to curb the cookie monster behavior, but there were some profound changes that happened in my horse 
that I didn't realize could happen as a result of standing still or teaching your horse to ground tie and stand. I use a mat, which is very common in a lot of clicker training circles, um, like a rubber mat for my horse to stand on. And we'd stand on that for hours on end. I teach my horse to lower his head and keep it there. Um, I taught him to back with softness, you know, all these very calm, almost stationary behaviors. So I initially did it so that I could get my horse to quit trying to bite me and then I could go back to my tricks that I really wanted to work on. And I always found I never worked on it enough. So I finally just said, all right, we're, we're working on this. We're going to fix this problem. And so not only did my horse stop becoming a greedy cookie monster, but thing, other things started to happen, which was really crazy and almost spooky. He'd start walking out of his stall calm and ready to go. Didn't need to lunge him, didn't need to get him tired, didn't need to work him for half an hour before he fi- I finally got his brain turned on. He was just ready right out the stall. Um, my horse started craving doing things like, oh, we're standing still. My favorite game is to stand still and relax with my head on the ground. Um, and so it really made a profound change in my horse. And then what I also noticed is when I took my horse to new s- situations um, where he might uh, be tempted to get nervous and, um, you know, just kind of be on edge, I could go back to that default behavior I had created of, hey, let's work on our standing still game. And he'd go, oh, thank God. Yeah, I love this game. Okay, let's stand still and relax. So this is obviously not something that you have to be a clicker trainer to experience. And it is a problem I see across all disciplines is when we're at home, we're getting ready for the big show. We're practicing our lead changes and we're hitting our jumps and we're doing this and we're working on a headset but we don't work enough on standing still and being quiet and waiting and relaxing. So then what happens, I hear this, this frustration from many, many owners is we get to the show, we get to the trail ride, we get to the parade or whatever, and we can't get our horse to stand still. Yeah. Um, Tacking up a moving target. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And can't get our horse focused. And unfortunately practicing being quiet and patient and relaxed can't really happen with any kind of success at the show because you haven't practiced it at home. So why is it going to work here when my nerves are frazzled and his nerves are frazzled and crazy things are going on? So, you know, what kind of things can you do? You know, I mentioned some things you can do with clicker. Um, It can be as simple as um, I have this problem with almost every horse I get into training. They want to move when I get on. And that's just a result of someone saying, ah, it's fine. You can walk off a couple steps. We were going to walk off anyway. Well, that at home, moving a few steps and, you know, shimming around a bit, you put that in a scary environment. Now it's your horse's whirly birding around. You can't even get your foot in the stirrup. So whatever's happening at home that's not going well is going to be a million times worse in new environments. So it can be very simple. Um, stand still when I get on you. And then I make it a habit right from the get-go so that it's never a problem with my horse. When we get on, um, we're going to sit there. I'm going to check my Facebook. I'm going to make sure my stirrups are right. I'm going to just kind of think about my day. And after a few moments, then we'll go. 
Um, just because my horse wants to go doesn't mean I'm ready to go. He needs to wait for me and he needs to get in habit of just because I swung up into the saddle doesn't mean we're going to go start working on our jumps right now. We're going to wait. And then, and I've mentioned this on the show several times, my first step on my horse, um, unless it's a horse that has difficulty with going forward, but generally my first step is not forward. It might be sideways. It might be moving your shoulder. It might be moving your hips. It might be backing up. And I get that horse just in a habit of wait and then wait for me to instruct you on where you're going to move your feet. It might be different every day. Interesting. Yeah. Because that way it's not only a case of you must you're going to be still until I say move. You're going to be still until I say move this specific way, because it's really easy when you hop on the horse, you're going to set off at a walk or even a trot. If your horse is particularly energetic, just hop on there and it's ready to go. And even the slightest little movement in your body, the horse says, off we go, because it's kind of a vague cue. Go, right? Yes. We're still and now we're going. (laughs) And if you're like me and I tend to not want to work on the calm stuff, I'm, you know, I'm the horse trainer like, oh man, those lead changes weren't very good yesterday. We really got to work on that today. I've got a million exercises. We're going to do work on it. So my mind is also going forward. And so when the horse goes forward and my mind's already like, yeah, we got to work on that lead change. I tend to forget that we weren't very calm at the mounting block and it doesn't seem like a big deal at home. But again, you get to the show, all those little problems that you've been ignoring for months, they get worse times a million. So you've got to practice that at home. Plus standing still at the mounting block, it doesn't sound like it, but it will help fix your lead changes. They don't sound related, but they actually are because I need a horse to get that lead change right. I need a horse that's relaxed, patient, waiting for my cue, um, ready to do what I ask and not take it into his own hands and guess and try and do something else instead. Um, So that's just that little habit. Build those habits at home. Um, I do a lot when I'm leading my horse around. I'll stop my feet without saying anything to the horse. I'll just stop. And then if the horse doesn't stop, We work on it right then and there. I don't care if I'm getting ready to put you up for the day and you see your bucket of grain waiting for you. Um, You know, I don't care. You're going to stop and we're going to wait a moment. Now, if this is an off-the-track three-year-old thoroughbred who's coming down off of that high and, you know, used to getting 20 pounds of grain a day and I've only had him here for a week and he doesn't know that much yet uh, with groundwork and body control – I'm not going to make him wait an hour, but we. You, I think you have the ability to wait a moment. If I can get a moment that day where you stopped and I saw your brain flicker on for a second, okay, now we can go on and you can get your dinner. But I'm going to build that habit right now over time. It might take me 100 days to get that horse in sync with me, but I'm going to practice that now. Don't don't let it snowball into this huge issue to where now I can't get my horse on the trailer. Now I can't get him to quit running around in circles in the parking lot at the horse show. Or I can't get him to um, to wait in the lineup. I've seen more accidents in lineups at horse shows. I've seen horses flip over backwards on their riders. Eesh. And a lot of it comes from a horse that 
cannot stand and relax. They can't do it at home. So when you do it in a scary show, it's just not going to work for you. So things like that, again, it not only helps get you a manageable horse that's easy to get on and off, but if you get that horse in a habit, and and I don't just do this at the beginning of my ride, and I don't just do it once. That's like with clicker training, we have a lot of exercises that work on food manners. And I have to tell my assistants all the time, don't just work on it for five minutes and then do the rest of your lesson. I'll do a little bit of let's move your feet. Now stop and wait. Okay, now let's move your feet more. Let's work on that side passing we were wanting to work on. And then stop and wait. On reining colts, I learned this in the reiners and did not realize it's not a common practice for a lot of people is I work on something, then we sit. I might sit on that horse for 10 minutes of, I'm going to put your the reins down. You you just stand here and just, you know, just have See, a little See, that's something I need to work on. Sitting on a horse and yes. just sitting still on a horse for 10 minutes. Wow, that would be really hard for me. I had no idea. People don't do that. It's um, really hard. I don't know why it's more <laughs> exclusive to reiners. I think because the reining is a discipline where, Um, you are working on so many maneuvers in one session and a lot of those are very high energy rollbacks, spins, lead changes, large, fast circles, small, slow circles, stopping, backing. Um, you're not going to do those all in one day, but you're working on three or four of them. And a lot of times you have to stop because that horse is tired. If he's breathing hard, he can't do rollbacks well for you because he's got to have that explosive energy, um, And so if I've just worked on rollbacks and it's a hot day, he's sweating a little bit, his nostrils are going. Um, if he's, if he's extremely hot, I walk him, but, um, but if he's just, you know, oh man, I need to catch my air. I put the reins down and I sit on that horse and I'll check my Facebook. You know, I've <laughs> I've got vigilance if it's a young colt. I'm not just going to completely clock out and not be aware of my surroundings. But I'll, and that horse learns over time just to crave, oh, thank gosh, she's leaving me alone. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to chill out and relax. And it takes It takes time to build up to that horse, really appreciating that break. But again, I might sit there for 10 minutes and then I'll pick up the reins and work on something else. The horses need the mental break. Yeah, that's interesting because it kind of circles back to Aaron's issue where you have a horse that focuses and works physically and mentally and then needs to take a physical break. He's walking or standing still but is unable to take a mental break. So that horse is going from working physically and mentally to taking a physical break, but mentally he's still going, what's now? What 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 now? And for him, he's doing that by finding things to spook at. So that horse needs to learn that emotional control part of the pie where he can learn to take both physical and mental break, either being still, which is probably easier for this particular horse, and walking because some horses you can they can be still and take a mental break and physical break and that they're still they're just hanging out watching the world go past and they're good but if you take that same horse under those same circumstances and ask him to walk without any rider input without any cues just walk on your own you're really hot you're really sweaty you need to move that same horse might have a great difficulty um taking the mental break. He's always looking for the next movement and 
if you if the writer's not giving it to him, he's going to make it up for himself. So that's very interesting where you can go way back to the beginning and help that horse learn to take the mental break part, whether he's still or not. And some horses being moving and doing that is always going to be hard. If you have the really high strung, hot blooded horses moving and taking the mental break at the same time might always be a struggle, but I think every horse can get better at it. Yes. And, and that's the whole point of the tip is even the lazy horses need practice at this. If, you know, we, we always think of, oh, I've got to get the trail show and and I've got a side pass over a log there's probably going to be that element in the pattern so what do you do if you know that you need that behavior you practice it every day a little bit every day you get one step one day and then two steps the next day and then three steps and then you start working on oh let's get some softness let's get you to look in the direction of the travel um, let's work on getting your hindquarters caught up a little bit more to your shoulders so we know to practice that or it's not going to work however with things that we desperately need to, for the show, not only to perform well, but to stay safe, relaxation, patience, learn to wait, learn to be solitary, learn to be okay if I'm not constantly telling you what to do. If I'm waiting at the gate for the class, learn to take that break and wait and be okay with waiting until I give you the cue to go. We don't practice that. Not enough people. And I have to constantly remind myself as well. Again, this isn't because I'm superior to everyone. It's because I've totally been here. I had a horse that seemed okay at home, went to the show, couldn't get him in the gate. Oh, it didn't no! matter how good our lead changes were if I can't get him in the pen, you know? Right. Um, and so uh, that's what I'm trying to hit home is you have to practice the quietness and the calmness just as much as you practice going over the jump or doing your side passing or working a gate or, you know, whatever you're working on. There we go. And on that note, we're going to have a little Templeton Thompson, a horse that can fly. <laughs> Perfect. Caged in, need to get a little air so I can breathe again. Got a thirst in my heart, hunger in my eyes, need to satisfy my soul. Free my wild side, my wheels have been spinning like crazy in my head. Gotta get back to living before I forget. My sights are set where that green grass is. A good so get me up the fence Yeah, 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 yeah I need somewhere to run Somewhere to ride Fresh pair of wings And a long stretch of sky I've sat up these dreams I'm holding on tight Need a good strong tall wind And a horse that can Back and a lot on my mind. Yeah, the weight of this world 
really gets me sometimes There's a freedom inside me I've been missing so much Gonna kick the gates wide open And live a bigger cloud of dust Yeah, 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 yeah Cause I need somewhere to run Somewhere to rock A fresh pair of wings And a long stretch sky I've sat up Strong tall wind and a horse that can fly. Yeah. Giddy up, look at what lies on the horizon. Second star to the left, then straight on till morning. Stretch of skies, out of these dreams, holding on tight. Need a good, strong tall wind and a horse that can fly. Yeah, I need a horse that can fly. Templeton Thompson with A Horse That Can Fly. You can find all of Templeton Thompson's music at templetonthompson.com. She's also on CD Baby, and she has piles and piles of really cool music that is beautifully produced and, for the most part, has horses in it. So, Mary, did you pick a question? One of our auditors' great questions. I did. I did. And I just lost it. Where did it go? Okay. this is <laughs> You from... lost it all right, Mary, but I don't think that has anything to do with the question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, long ago, long ago. Uh, this is from, and I hope I get the name right, Mo Halsema Meyer. Mm-hmm. And it is, how do you help a lazy horse pick up his feet higher when walking over rails? Oh, you see this uh, one a lot. Yes. Yes. Um, so I assume this is a Mustang. Um, I, whoa, gosh, my mind is not right. I was thinking of my lazy Mustang that I had problems with this. Uh, I, what I meant to say was, I assume this is ground poles you're talking about. Um, and the first recommendation I would give is um, get heavy practice poles. Um, and kind of bigger, clunkier ones than ding, you ding, might ding, encounter ding, 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 ding. at a show. Yeah. Um, 
like railroad ties or um, not landscape timbers. What are the big round ones? They're like 10 inches in diameter. Yeah, they they usually use them for fence posts to hold up the gate. Yes. Yeah, they always use a really like extra heavy duty one on the gate side. Yeah. Yes. So I would say practice with heavier ones at home that are bigger in diameter than uh, you might typically see uh, because they have to pick up their feet over those. Um, you might want to lunge them over them first just so it doesn't hit them by surprise and we don't do face plants. Um, <laughs> um, so I would say that would be step one. The lighter ones that like PVC can make them get a little lazy because there's not much consequence if they hit their feet over them right um well and you got to look at it this way a lot of people say oh well the horse is being lazy if you look at his hard wiring when a horse um goes through brush and brambles and undergrowth which he's designed to do by mother nature he doesn't lift his feet up and go over it and jump it he kind of thrashes his way through it it's a much more energy efficient way to get from point a to point b and if you're living the way Mother Nature had intended you, you'd better be energy efficient. So I think if we look at it not as the horse, air quotes here, being lazy, but teaching the horse that when there's an where's an when there is a a an article in your way, you should step over it, not through it, might help us mentally. Because a lot of times we have we hold a little resentment when our horses are like that. Oh yeah. Just like putting he, that out there. You know. Yeah. He's being a bum or, you know, he's yeah. taking advantage of me. Yeah. Um, that's kind of like uh, trail bridges have got to be the most confusing thing on earth to a now, horse. Now, explain this, trail bridge. Oh, I, like a wooden, like a wooden box shaped bridge that you would find on like a, an obstacle challenge. Okay. Um, it's not a functional bridge. It's not like. It's helping made to you get simulate a, a bridge. Yes, it's okay. it's a it's a wooden rectangle that's in the middle of your nice soft plush arena with perfect footing, ideally. Um, and so when you ask the horse to step on this thing, this narrow clunky bridge, elevated, you know, slightly maybe six inches off the ground, your horse is like, well, you you want to get over there, right? You you're trying to get to the other side of the arena, and you're like, yeah, walk over this bridge to get there. They're like, but you know, the footing on either side is just fine. And I know what that's like, and it's safe, so I should go around. You're like, no, but I want you over the bridge. He goes, but I don't know what that's made of, and this is dirt. So, you know, in the horse's mind, he's finding the most efficient and safest way to cross to the other side of the arena. He doesn't know you're trying to win ribbons. (laughs) Something that I've worked at with um, a couple of horses I've had over the years with the the rails or ground poles issue that had a tendency to – be a little bit sloppy and drag their legs over them is I worked on doing side passes so that the horse's front feet were on one side of the rail and back feet were on the other side of the rail and have the more horse move left or right and then move forward or backwards so that, and I think, and that doesn't sound like it's helping him get over the rail, does it? He's not, he's only stepping over the rail with two feet, but it helped the horse gain better control over his feet in that he was paying attention to where his feet were. It helped me gain better control over his feet. And it helped the horse strengthen his core because in order to step over things carefully, they actually have to use their abdominal muscles because they have to kind of engage things. And if you have a horse that's just like kind of lackadaisical, I can just walk through this. It's no big deal. Um, 
they probably live their life that way. So they probably have a little bit of a beer belly, not physically and visually, but, you know, as far as their core strength is concerned. So I found that very useful. And I noticed it with Nigel in that if I got him to step both front feet over a rail and then stop and then both back feet over a rail, the first couple of times I asked him to do that, he really mentally struggled with it. He's like, whoa, 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 wait. If I don't do all four at once, I just can't do it. And he was a classic foot dragger. Anything, even rails on the ground, he'd tip them with his feet. He'd step right on top of them. It was terrible. And that did help him pay attention. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's an interesting way to tackle it. Um, I would also say your approach is very important. So if your horse is kind of like shuffling along and moseying about and thinking about his dinner that night, and then he comes ap- across these rails, that's not going to be the time for both of you to get it together and him to pick up his feet. So, and this also works on um, obstacles I might encounter um, that I know my horse might be hesitant to cross as well. Um, I'm going to work on the approach um, from yards away. So if I know he ticks the rails at a at a walk when I'm trying to walk over, I'm going to um, way ahead of time work on the biggest, most forward walk I can get my horse to do. Um, and that way I've got some energy in his feet. And when we do approach the rails, I can, I've got something to work with because he's already striding out. He's hopefully paying more attention to me. And then as he goes over, you can do things like lift your rein, give him a little squeeze and, um, and kind of encourage him over each log to, Hey, pick up your feet, pick up your feet, pick up your feet. But if you, if you hit those rails, if you approach those rails and he's kind of doing a sluggish walk, that's really hard to get working for you um, when yeah, you're, at you're the asking obstacle. for trouble there, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. So with any obstacle, your approach is equally important as the part where you actually do the obstacle work on that approach. And I'd imagine it's the same thing if you're jumping um, and, you know, that kind of thing. If, you, if you're riding an eventer and he's not coming up to that solid jump with some gusto, um, it's not going to be pretty. No, it could end disastrously. Good and very interesting that you have to have the physical energy and the mental focus, just like we talked about earlier, that whether or not the horse is focusing mentally and physically, um, to get things just right. Now, some horses have that more propensity to it than others. So for the horses who have a little bit less propensity, there's some great exercises you can do. Oh, I typed in the wrong place again. I got it now. I think it's time for us to call our next guest, Tina. Why don't you tell everybody about who Tina is and why we're going to chat with her? Um, so Tina is a uh, hoof trimmer who's out of Dallas, and I've recently started having her work on Guthrie. Um, some of you may know that Guthrie has had issues uh, um, relating to his navicular bone. Um, he's been on and off lame for the last few years and I'm trying a barefoot approach, but I, um, uh, so Tina has been working on rebalancing his feet out of shoes and making them comfortable and then also making other changes as well, which you might not typically associate with, um, just Hello. trimming their feet. Hi, Tina. It's Mary. How are you? Hi. Hi, I'm doing good. How are you? Good, good. You are with us on air. I was just giving you a um, a slight introduction. Um, 
again, uh, I've had Tina come out who's been working on my horse's Guthrie, uh, my horse Guthrie's feet. Um, again, he's got the navicular and we're trying to just get him back into balance and comfortable barefoot. Um, so what you do is probably a little bit different than a typical farrier. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the kind of trimming you do and how it might be different from someone who also puts shoes on a horse for a living? Right. Um, basically, obviously a farrier, you know, does the metal shoe. And what we try to do, what I would try to do is, you know, try to create the situation for the foot to be as healthy as possible there, whether that be with environment, making environmental changes, um, diet, um, body work, anything that, you know, can help attribute to the horse basically healing its own foot. So. That's basically what we try to do. And almost everyone I've talked to who's gotten into this sort of, I don't know if you would call it a movement or a method or a program. There's, I guess it's just as varied as anyone who's putting shoes on a horse. Lots of different ways to do it and mentors and ideas and theories. But anyone I've talked to who's gotten started kind of on this path usually has done it um, to help a horse that they own. And then it just sort of, uh, blossomed from there into, into kind of a career. Um, how did you get started on this? Where did you first start learning about this way of trimming horses? That is exactly how it happened for me. I had a little founder pony and he was doing well for a long time and then got to kind of a roadblock. And I thought, you know, I really need to learn more about his hoof and how to take care of his feet and know what a proper trim is. And that led me to some of Pete Ramey's works, Dr. Balker, um, Dr. Deb Taylor, and then Ida Hammer. And they have been just fabulous mentors and they have really helped, you know, with the rehabilitation of this pony with Founder. Awesome. And, you know, I think that's kind of like me as well. Um, most of us who've kind of picked up this idea of this, uh, you know, getting this hoof into balance, um, sometimes that means shoes and sometimes it doesn't. But trying trying to balance that hoof, um, most of the time doing it, uh, keeping the hoof bare. I think most of us have the similar story, whether we got into it professionally or not of a horse that you just couldn't help. Um, we've been to vets, we've been to farriers, we've done x-rays, we've done MRIs. Um, and, and I know one of the things that when I first started looking into Pete Ramey's work and, and stuff like that is, um, and I don't know if it's still kind of the popular way of thinking of things, but looking at the wild Mustang's foot as an ideal of what you're trying to go to. Is that still something that's widely practiced is using that Mustang foot as an ideal? Absolutely. Um, you know, and part of that is, you know, with the wild Mustang with, you know, I, we all do the Mustang roll and, you know, but I think some fairies also do, you know, they roll the, you know, the, the walls of the foot. Um, but it's basically, I think a lot of the Mustang um, idea is, you know, that does play with movement. You know, it, it's not just the foot, it's the lifestyle, you know, of trying to create an environment, you know, and the diet and, you know, just the horse needs as much movement as possible, you know, that, that, that helps. So it is kind of that, you know, the lifestyle of the Mustang, as well as just the basic trend. 
And that actually brings me to my next question and something that I'm constantly getting reminded of in working with Guthrie is typically, um, and this is with so many things in the horse world, and this is with me as well, you tend to have kind of tunnel vision of, well, the problem's in his feet, so we got to fix the feet, whether that's we inject him or we give him anti-inflammatories to make him feel better, we put the shoes in the pads or we trim him this way or that way. And most people that are asking the question of how do I fix his feet? Like with Guthrie and his navicular, how do I fix his feet? You know, I'm looking at, well, I got to trim them this way and maybe put this shoe on or maybe do this. And very rarely have I, over this kind of saga with this horse, have I stopped and thought, what is he eating? How is he moving? What's in his environment like? Um, so you would say that plays a big role Um I would imagine what, what would you say would be an, in general for most horses, what is an, an ideal environment? Like what, what kind of turnout does he need? What would you say in general is, is a good place to start with diet? Um, with diet, obviously, you know, always consult your veterinarian, um, but you know, a lower sugar diet, um, forage, um, they need, um, just as far as the environment goes, lots of movement and lots of room, um, not being stalled, just just so they can move around. And, and I think the, the wild horse travels about 20 miles a day. And so we need to create as much as we can for them to have as much of that movement as possible. And look at the whole horse with any hoof issue and, you know, get as many professionals in, you know, involved as possible to to not just target the feet, but look at the whole horse, the whole everything. Um, yeah, you know, and that is something we don't often realize with the Mustangs. Not only are they traveling several miles a day, and they're constantly moving because they're not most often, unless maybe they're like a Chincoteague pony. Um, but most of our wild horses, right. they're in the West. And so it's not like they're in a big lush green pasture where they can walk two feet and they've got another patch of perfect grass. Their diet is actually very sparse and they have to really, truly forage for it. Um so, so I found that really interesting, you know, with our horses, we tend to keep them in stalls and we feed them grain and supplements and I have been down this road and have fed all this stuff. And this one makes his coat shiny and this one makes him fat and this one helps his joints and yada, yada, yada. So it's a, it's, it's very unlike what he might find in the wild, which is kind of a more sparse, um, diet that he's, he's eating throughout the day. That's another thing is, you know, the Mustang doesn't have his dinner thrown at him twice a day all at once. Um, so do you recommend, uh, any, in, anything I can do to kind of, um, mimic that kind of foraging, um, behavior with the horse where he can kind of eat more throughout the day and sort of, I guess, search for his food? Right. Absolutely. Um, there are some great hay nets on the market that can really slow down, you know, instead of just throwing a flake of hay out and they just can gobble that up, you know, in a short period of time, there are hay nets that can really slow down the process and they have to kind of work for their hay and work for their feet a little bit more. Um, yeah, I think, um, 
I think it's just, it's, it's so different than what we normally do with these guys, which most of the time for convenience, you know, we get up in the morning, we throw them their hay and then we, um, and then we go in the evening and then we throw them their dinner. Uh, and I think it's also much better on their gut too, to have that kind of refuge moving through their system throughout the day. And it helps prevent things like colic. And obviously it helps with their foot growth and, and things like that. Um, another thing that I didn't think of again, you know, we think of fixing the feet, whether he just needs a better trim or he's like my horse and he's dealing with navicular. Uh, I tend to zero in on that foot and, and nothing else. But one of the things that was going on in his feet that I didn't think about because I've never had a serious problem with it um, was when you first started coming out, my horse had a very serious case. I mean, serious for me, a uh, case of thrush. And I mean, I've had horses feet that I picked up and it's a little black and it's a little chalky. And, you know, maybe if you think about it, you toss in some copper talks or some sort of thrush relief. But I've never really thought about um, thrush as being a reason for discomfort or lameness. Is this something that you see often in horses? And and is it is it often a cause of, of pain and even lameness? Oh, absolutely. Um, I've seen a lot of horses who have, um, I think a lot of times when we think of thrush and we think of picking out a horse's foot, we pick, we um, usually, you know, clean out the sides of the, the frog on either side. And what I find when I see a lot is thrush in the center of the frog, kind of back towards the heel. And a lot of times I think we overlook that part. And that can cause, you can get a little, nice deep crack with a lot of thrush infection there. And that causes a lot of heel pain. And I've seen a lot of horses with that even can show up just slight lameness, you know, in their, you know, when they're being ridden. And it's just a simple fact that they just have thrush. So and there's a lot of great things to, to treat that with. And, you know, once it's cleared up, they usually are pretty comfortable. Um, yeah, that was something I didn't think about with Guthrie as well. And, and I've started looking at all of my horse's feet and I've been very fascinated with what I've found is, um, you're absolutely right. I was looking, you know, in the grooves on either side of his frog and, um, you know, sometimes it's muddy at my place and they get a little chalky and I don't think about it. Um, but the big issue with this particular horse and some of the others on my place was, um, you see this tiny little quarter inch crack between their heel bulbs and if you get your thumbs you pick up that horse's foot and you really squish your thumbs and it feels really squishy um and and my horse was even wanting to pull his foot away and you could even stick the hoof pick down to the very end of it into that crack and all of that was uh I don't know if you'd call it infected, but with, with thrush. Um, and so this is a horse whose biggest source of pain is at his heels. Uh, when they have navicular issues, it's, it's not really a disease, like a, a, it's not diagnosed as the disease anymore. It's like caudal heel pain. Um, but anyway, this horse has problems with his heel. He's got severe pain in his heel. And then on top of it, the problem I didn't think about was he's also got this thrush, which is causing even more pain. Um, and so this is a case with this horse. His pain at present might not even be so much about that navicular bursa, but more about that thrush. Um, so 
are there any other things that you recommend other than topical treatments um, that can help treat thrush? Is uh, is are there a way you can trim the horse that will help maybe keep them from developing thrush? Um, I don't know necessarily with um, trimming to prevent thrush. Um, not necessarily. I mean, we leave a little bit more, you know, protection, obviously, to, you know, so that they're not landing so hard on their heel bulb. Um, but just uh, kind of just keeping the diet nice and clean with, you know, lower sugar. Um, that That's the best. Thing that you cannot do because sometimes even a higher sugar diet can, you know, kind of encourage, you know, maybe the pH with the horses, with the thrush. So I think just, you know, um, just keeping them clean and keeping them, you know, treated with, you know, any kind of the thrush treatment, that's the best thing that you can do and keeping them in a clean environment. That's the best you can do. Very good. Um, yeah, that was just something I found really fascinating is I guess because I've never had a serious case um, that I knew, oh, man, he's got really terrible um, thrush with his feet and it's causing this and that and the other. This was a horse that I'm thinking, well, he's got navicular. And then on top of it, he had thrush. There was another thing that was very interesting about his feet. And I'm wondering um, if this is also something you commonly see and have to address is he did have some signs of possible laminitis. Um, what did you see in his feet that made you think that that was a problem? And and is that something you see often in other horses? Right. Um, what I noticed from just from observing um were just little signs of little horizontal wings going down the foot, which were signs of inflammation, which, you know, laminitis is inflammation in the lamina. Um, those were the big signs that I noticed, um, just lots and lots and lots of rings that, you know, were just like lots of little bouts of inflammation. So that's the main thing that I saw. Um. And so, uh, obviously, the diet that we've uh, changed him to, that lower sugars, lower starch, is going to help that. Um, so, have you ever um, have you ever uh, found this in other horses and had owners surprised that this might be an issue that their horses had? Oh, absolutely. Sometimes, you know, we just aren't aware of that. Um, just, you know, with doing research and, and learning from, you know, the veterinarian, you know, might have come out and mentioned that or... You know, like doing my research with with um, with Pete Ramey, um, just found that you know those were big things that that a lot of owners are just absolutely not aware of. Uh, they just don't understand the horse's feet as well as you know, you know these professionals and. Um, yeah, it's, it's just not something that I regularly think of. I think about changing diets so he'll lose or gain weight or be more <laughs> shiny. Um, well, but I don't think about it with feet. Right. Well, the hoof is such a dynamic, right. three-dimensional, complex. You have to nearly be a genius physicist to get it all. There's, there's so much going on in there. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> now, do, you're, you are a professional farrier, so you have access to your peers and all kinds of interesting research and um, uh, different educational opportunities. Are there any online uh, resources that your average horse owner who wants to learn more about the dynamics of how a hoof works, how it should work, uh, best practices for a lifestyle to maximize your horse's health, any online resources that you could recommend? Um, 
Oh, absolutely. Um, HoofRehab.com is, is uh, Pete Ramey's website. Um, you can look up the works of um, Dr. Balker. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, Deb Ta- Dr. Deb Taylor from Auburn University. There, just, there are some great websites and places to go to, to to learn as much about having a really good, healthy foot as possible. Excellent. Sorry, I had a coughing fit. I had to turn off my mic for a second. <laughs> um, well, that was incredibly enlightening, and um, I'm uh, I'm really excited to to do even more research. You know, of course, the age old adage is um, no hoof, no horse. Um, so, if someone was local to the Dallas area and they wanted to find you and maybe perhaps get consultation on your horses, where could we find you online? Um, I don't really have a website. I've usually been working from referrals, so I have a phone number. Um, call Mary. <laughs> the answer is call Mary. Yes, call me. I will. I will hook you up. <laughs> well, you like to find me on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook. It's my personal page. Okay, and that's Tina Tom- Thomas. Well, thank you very so much yes. for answering our questions. It was something I found was really fascinating. Um, like it says about a billion times in my intro, you never stop learning. Um, right. And uh, so I just wanted to share that with our listeners. I found it really fascinating. Thank you so much uh, for coming on today and answering our questions. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tina. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, speaking of comfortable and focused, uh, one of our really valued sponsors on the monthly training with Mary Kitzmiller show is Total Saddle Fit, and they make the shoulder relief cinch. And the shoulder shoulder relief cinch, very popular. You're seeing it all the tack shops nowadays. It's kind of unique because it improves the saddle fit and the horse's comfort. And how does it do that? The center of the cinch sits in your horse's natural girth groove, while the sides up there near your ankles attach are set back and attached to the latigos further back. And that prevents the saddle from being pulled onto the shoulders of your horse, very uncomfortable people, and allows for better elbow clearance. Yes, if your horse's elbows are being pinched by the cinch, that's a bad thing, and he's not going to be able to focus on his works. And it uses an interchangeable liner system so that the cinch can be used with either a top-quality limestone neoprene wool felt or wool fleece, whatever your horse likes. And it makes it easy to keep clean and allows flexibility because you can have one cinch and lots of different liners. And it is also, this is new, available in a fully synthetic version. And ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Newsflash, just new to the market. There is also a version of the cinch available that is designed specifically for Australian and trail saddles. You know the ones that have the long billets that are wider than an English saddle? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It works on any saddle that has inch and a quarter wide billets, and it has a removable girth strap. So some Australians have that overgirth part and some don't. So they were very clever, and they put that girth, that over, overgirth strap on there so that it is removable. So it doesn't matter which kind of saddle you have. And you can learn more at totalsaddlefit.com or walk into your local tax store, and you'll probably find them there. Dun, dun, dun. And I think we have room for just one more listener 
question. And how do you get to your list your question on Mary Kitts Miller's show? If you're an auditor, every month Mary posts up on there right before her show, says, anybody got questions? Anybody want to come on the air? So you need to be an auditor. And how do you become an auditor? Go to horseradionetwork.com and look for the Become an Auditor or Learn to Be an Auditor link. And you can hop right in there and it tells you just how to do it. So what's the question going to be and who submitted it, Mary? Let's go with Casey Berger. And her question is, do you have any suggestions for teaching my lazy? It's all lazy horses today, which is <laughs> which is good. Well, two lazy ones, one kooky one. Um, and sometimes they can be both. Uh, so teaching my lazy 17-year-old mare how to lope without us being pointed toward home. She doesn't have an arena or round pin, so she usually rides in the open. Um, This is a good one. Motivation. Very good question and a common issue. Um, Funny story. uh, I don't know. Some of you may know that I showed mules and donkeys extensively for years. In fact, I am a world mule champion. I don't know if you knew that. English equitation. Yeah, yeah. On mules. Um, I have a buckle to prove it and everything. Um, so these people, what they do with these donkeys is amazing. They have donkey hunter hack, donkey barrel racing, um, donkey barrel of, racing. Yes. Instead of horse. Oh, it's fascinating. It's very, very watchable. Um, that's a whole other show. I could talk about that endlessly. Um, and you know, donkeymanship. So anything they have for a horse People ha- do it with donkeys. There was even uh, Meredith Hodges, who's big on RFD TV, had a third level dressage junk- donkey who also did show jumping. Um, so I would pick the brains of these donkey trainers. Like, how, how do you get this thing to canter? And the common, um, uh, the common answer was, uh, take the donkey far away from the barn, turn around and kick like hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> yeah um so you can actually use the magnetism of home to get an animal to go to canner um so what i have found with colts or even 17 year old horses is if i'm training something I kind of go at it like a lawyer. I'm never going to ask a question I don't already know the answer to. So when I first start working on the lope or even getting the correct lead, I may use that magnetism he has, that that being drawn to the barn, to get him to lope the first few times. Um, and I will get very successful at that. And then once I'm once I've asked that question and answered it several times and it's always been the correct answer, I'm gonna ask you to lope and then you lope. And then I release and reward and all of that. Then hopefully I can get it in other areas, even going away from the barn. Um and here's a little story. This might be something fun for you to try. I've never actually done this myself in this way. Um, but it might be something that that um that that might work. I, I would be very interested to hear this, uh, hear if this works. Um, so I was asking a group of clicker trainers, how do you guys get energy in your horses? Because um, this group, particular group of people were uh, what I would call kind of real purist in how they trained, meaning that they didn't carry whips around um, or like really kick the horse or make him feel uncomfortable to go. It was all about positive reinforcement and rewarding. And so 
I'm like, well, that's, that's terrific. And they're getting beautiful things done with their horses. I'm like, well, how do you get energy? Um, especially if the horse doesn't naturally want to have energy, how would you do that without spurs or a whipper or, or, you know, just really, uh, kicking them in the sides? How do you get that horse to move out? And one of the ladies told me a story about this endurance rider she knew. I guess she would condition her horse on top of this kind of giant hill, like almost mountain-sized hill. And she would, you know, trot up and down this hill, getting her horse in condition for endurance. And one of the things she would do every day is she'd trot the horse all the way up to the top of the hill. And when they got to the top, she'd give it a break, and both she and the horse would split a peanut butter sandwich. And naturally, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I guess the horse really liked peanut butter. Um, Naturally, the horse really looked forward to this little break they would have where once we get to the top of that hill, we're going to stop and we're going to split our peanut butter sandwich. So he started on his own without being prodded to moving out beautifully every day um, up that hill, which was very arduous and, and a difficult task in order to get his peanut butter sandwich and his little happy break. So something you might try, this is just something I've kind of had in my head. Um, a, a lot of traditional trainers will say, oh, rest the horse where he doesn't want to be. So when you're working your horse and you want to rest him, rest him away from the barn and hopefully he'll crave being away from the barn. However, as good as letting a horse rest is and as good as releasing pressure is, and it should be absolutely done whenever possible. I don't consider it a reward for a horse. It is simply a release. Um, I would find something more rewarding. Food is often the best. Um, So what you might try is get into a habit of maybe get your horse out, tack him up and ride him a, suitable distance away from the barn. You might do it at the trot. You might do it at the walk. Uh, I wouldn't push for canner just yet. Um, and I would just make this a habit. This is just, this is totally experimental. Um, and just thanks for being our guinea pig, Casey. Yes. Yes. I, this has just been working in my brain. I would trot him a, a considerable distance away from the barn, just beeline it and go away from the barn. And once you make it there and warm him up, you know, if he's being goofy and needs some warm up, um, you know, do that, but then go away from the barn, trot them out, find a place to stop and give them a cookie. Um, and I would do this every day. Just make this a habit. We're going to go away from the barn. We're going to have our cookie. I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't start this out with kind of any ulterior motive of, I'm going to try and get you to lope there. Just get them there and give them a break, split a cookie. And I would just make this a habit, just make it a routine and see if that doesn't maybe um, get him a little bit happier to go away from the barn, Um, you know, sweeten the deal, so to speak. And then once you have that happening, then maybe you could ask for a lope Um, in general. So for a less kind of weird experimental way to get this done in general, if I have trouble getting a horse to lope, I I bet you a million dollars, you probably also have issues getting this horse to walk out. You probably also have issues getting him to do an extended trot. If I can't get an extended walk or trot, getting a lope is going to be very difficult. So um, work on it on a gate that's much more manageable. Get that walk striding out. Um, I love to play a game with my horses of how big can I get you to walk without trotting? 
ironically, the lazy horses will have a much diff- more difficult time getting an extended walk, and they would rather just pop into a jog. Yeah. You would think a jog would be more work, but really stretching out in that walk, yeah. that's got that. That's like yoga or Pilates for horses. Yeah. Each horse is geared course. differently. It's like an automobile with an old-fashioned, yes. let me say, thinking this old-fashioned, um, standard transmission. It's geared a certain way in that each individual horse, his walk, his jog or trot, and his lope or canter are naturally geared to be at a certain speed. And if you push it way beyond that, you get the RPMs way up in the walk. That's more work for an engine. And well, it's more work for his, his engine too, but that doesn't mean we don't stretch. It's good for him. It's good for him to do that. That's a very interesting track to do it that way. First, get him to walk really, really fast wherever you want to mm-hmm. or slow and ha- have lots of gears in between. And then you can do the same thing with the trot. And then you can do the same thing with the lope. Yep. And if he will lope well, slow, medium, or fast towards the barn, maybe you can get him to start loping slow, medium, or fast away from the barn or in that curve that's not quite towards or not quite away from either, making those big loops in hopefully an open field. Very interesting. Well, and and one thing I want to stress is I hear this question very often, and most of the time, someone who can't get their horse to lope, once they get to the lope, they try to get them to lope for 20 minutes. I'm yeah. Like, it took you 20 <laughs> minutes to get them to lope. So start this problem with, with the, start this issue, working on this issue with the walk. If I have problems getting my horse to walk out and he finally like picks up and gives me that burst of forward energy, let him come back down. Like you made it, you made it to that walk. Don't keep him doing it. As soon as he makes it, let him come back. Let him relax and then practice it again and you'll get it to happen more and more. Um, and then jump to you've done this all through the walk and then the trot. Um, I will work the next when I'm in the trot, extend that trot as big as you can. Don't worry about lope. Get the trot as big as you can without loping. Um, my guess is that in itself will be a challenge. And then what's going to happen one day? You get this beautiful extended trot going for you. Then all it will take at that point where that horse is just really striding out and moving out is it takes hardly anything to roll him into a canter. I also do this with colts that are um, uh, afraid to canter. Uh, where they kind of burst into the canner and run, you know, run off instead of just rolling into it. Work on that extended trot. That is your friend. You get the horse to extend that trot. Then all it takes is maybe one little kiss or one little burst of energy with your seat. And it, they just, and I say they roll into it. It's just that smooth. So, so there's some things for you to try. I hope those work out for you. There we go. And we are plum running out of time because when, uh, Mary and I get in front of a microphone and start geeking out on training. We can't stop talking. But thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Thank you very much to Horseware for being our title sponsor today. And we will see you again tomorrow on Horses in the Morning.